Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network. New shows every day. Find us at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. Hockey fans, if you'd like a copy of my new book, Tales with TR, Fights, Film, and Folklore, head on over to flankerpress.com. If you'd like a personalized copy for $25 plus shipping, email me at terryryan2020 at gmail.com. That's terryryan2020 at gmail.com. Gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to episode 135B of Tales with TR, and let's get right into it. My guest today is a sports aficionado and covers them all. These days, he's co-host of the fans, Fan 590's Drive Time in Toronto and also acts as an analyst in various platforms for the Raptors and Blue Jays. He's had an interesting career path, to say the least, and has not only covered sports all over our wonderful country, but he also has a business degree and even dabbled in law school at one point. One of the most interesting minds in the sports media biz. He also co-authored Chasing a Dream, the rollicking against the odds story based on the life of Newfoundland's own basketball hero, Carl English. He is a brilliant broadcaster, an amazing analyst, a splendid sports netian, a radical wrestler, a fantastic fan, a real good writer. He's a fine young man, and you can hear him on the fan. You want another rhyme? He's great on drive time. He likes to wear shorts and is a fan of all sports. He often wears pink and has lots of ink. It comes as no shock. His dad is from The Rock. Much like me, he has a college degree. Roxette's got the look, and this guy writes books. He's calm and cool and went to law school. He left on a whim because it wasn't for him. Then one fall, he covered basketball. Cows say moo. And he did other sports, too. Folks, if you're three apples high, you're probably feeling smurfy. 
And please welcome to the show, it's the great Blake Murphy. Blake, how you doing? I'm good, man. That's a, that's a hell of an intro. Well, you know what? You're a hell of a guy. You've <laughs> got an extremely, extremely interesting career and career path. And I know little bits because it's impossible to follow Canadian sports without your name at some point coming up. And most recently for me, it was in one of my favorite segments of the year, the 32 Thoughts holiday special. And uh, my favorites, of course, Jack Michaels uh, used to be, uh, he was on that show. He used to be my radio guy in Colorado Springs when I played there. So that was a welcome surprise. And so were you. Now, you did a little 10 minutes on there, but I followed your career, and I know that you've got roots here in Newfoundland. I don't know where to start, so I'm going to go way back. Where did you grow up? So I grew up in Cambridge, Ontario, which has a really large Newfie population. So Big. my my dad and his whole family are from Belle Island. My dad still wow. lives on Belle Island, um, like in the house that he grew up in with my grandparents. Wow. It's, it's on Murphy's Lane. So it, the, the deep roots are still there in Belle Island. But when he was about 20, um, like the mines had closed at that point and yeah. looking for work. So I think his uncle had come to Cambridge looking for work. There were a bunch of manufacturing jobs. Um, so my uncle kind of sent for my dad and a couple of his buddies. It sounds like a sitcom, honestly, like my dad and three of his buddies from Belle Island coming to Cambridge to live with his uncle and like just to find work and stuff, a bunch of idiot 20 year olds. Um, and then yeah, my dad ended up, uh, I mean, he met my mom and, uh, I was a bit of an accident. So he got, he was stuck in Ontario. Uh, and then, um, yeah, maybe like, so I grew up in Cambridge and then I think like 2016 or 2017, my dad moved back to Newfoundland. Wow. That, yeah, that's a, So that's a familiar story. So in two, 2003, 2004, I guess maybe oh four or five, I, I didn't want to retire so early from pro hockey. I hurt my ankle is what happened. And um, at the time, there wasn't much social media. A lot of people didn't realize that. Unless it was in the paper, you wouldn't really know. So I was kind of down. I didn't know what to do. And I, I, I knew I wanted to go to school, but I didn't really have the time for that. So I started a youth development program. It was for kids from northern Labrador um, that were disadvantaged to some degree somehow in their lives. And... Uh, we brought them down. Most of them were Inu kids. We brought them down. Bell Island only had ten players, but they they had they were pretty good players for their midget team. So we had ten. We brought ten with us, and it was education through motivation. We stayed in the I forget the name. There was a convent right next to St. Michael's School, and we stayed there for the year. And it was a great experience. Uh, for those that don't know Bell Island, that that, that haven't been to Newfoundland, it's an island. Not far off Port. Well, it's about fifteen minute ferry from Portugal Cove, which is pretty much St. John's. You know, from Bell Island, from the ferry downtown is probably twenty minutes. And anyway, I really had a great time, and I learned a lot about the history of Bell Island. And I know that your dad wasn't alone. A lot of people went to that area. I believe the first game I get, I played against Todd Harvey. He's got somebody there. I'm not sure who, but anyway, that is a familiar story. So. When you grew up in Cambridge, were you aware of all the Newfoundland, would you say, descendants? I suppose you would. Um, like you or, you know, was the was the obvious Newfoundland community, um, was it vibrant every day? 
Yeah, it was, but like you don't realize it when you're a kid. So um, I, I can give like a couple examples of things that just seemed normal to me. Um, but now looking back, it's like, wow, that was really unique to, to Cambridge. And I, I think to a similar extent, Georgetown ha has a bit of a similar story. Yeah. But my dad played in a softball league and he play. I think they played Friday nights and Sunday afternoons. And they referred to it as the Newfie League. And there were like rules about how many non like how many mainlanders you could have on your roster, because the whole idea of the league was that it was supposed to be all the Newfie transplants in the area. And then Canada Day weekend every year, they'd be there'd be what they called the Newfie reunion tournament, where a team from Georgetown would come down. You'd maybe get a team from Newfoundland down. Um, Cambridge has a Newfoundland club like for people who know yeah. like, yeah, there's an Italian club or Portuguese yeah. club or whatever. Cambridge has a Newfie club um, and there would always be like, you know, midway games and the, the parents would be getting into it uh, later, at, later at night and stuff those weekends. So um, to me as a kid, I thought that was entirely normal. And then now it's like, I like, imagine I'm in a Toronto pickup league and they're like, Oh, hold up. Are you, I need to see, did you, did you grow up in Newfoundland or do you only have family there? Cause there are roster restrictions around it. it <laughs> it's pretty hilarious to think back on. Hey, I've gone over there a few times in the last, geez, I guess 15 years, maybe four or five, um, and played in the Christmas tournament. And it's just a Christmas hockey tournament. You know, no hitting or anything, but it's it, it's very intense. And they, they, they fill it. It'll be full to watch this tournament. And the Bell Islanders from away come back, and they, they've got their, you know, Bell Island jerseys. They're all real proud to be from home, and then they play. And, you know, a lot of the extra, like, like me, like there's probably a few senior hockey teams or pros on each, and they beat us most of the time. <laughs> but uh, there's a lot of community pride. For those that don't know, Bell Island used to be the second biggest city or town in, in Newfoundland, um, and they, they it was based on their mines, and, and they closed down, I guess, in the 60s. My history is a little iffy on the but, – but anyway, it was once vibrant. I hope that sometime – I mean, a casino or a golf course just seems obvious to me over there. No, have you been like you? You come back and go there once in a while, right? Yeah, I haven't been there since 2019, but um, okay. because of pandemic stuff, and um, I also I uh, have a new like my a year and a half year old nephew. So this past summer, instead of us going to visit my dad, he came down here because he wanted to meet his grandson and stuff. So um, yeah, it's. Uh, I've been back there a bunch. I don't know that it'd be big enough for a golf course, but there's definitely like spots where, oh, this would be an unbelievable golf hole. Like there's there's one spot if you go, yeah. there's a there's a, a restaurant on one edge, like on kind of a cliff edge in one part of the island. And there's like a gap. And then what you, it could just be like a green on the other side. And there's like ocean in between. I don't know how you do it. Like get a little a little bridge across or something like that. But the idea of like chipping over the ocean into a, into a green, I'm not a huge golfer, but I'd have to imagine that would be like a, like a, a tourist destination for people who love golf. If you could have a hole built like that. Yeah. You think, well, maybe a, a small par three or something, yeah. or, but there's uh, yeah, there's so much potential. One day there will be, it's so beautiful too. I mean, and you know, for the, the, the places are inexpensive and yeah. at some point it will be built up. Um, so Cambridge. Now you were into every you, you you cover everything. I knew that you played hockey at some point from hearing you talk. I think it was on one of the Jays 
shows, but I didn't realize you were wrestling. Yeah. So, and Merrick asked you about that. So were you a big, like, was that your thing in high school wrestling? Um, I, like, I was a bit of everything in high school. Um, I wasn't all that good at wrestling. Um, so, but like, I Cambridge played. is known for it, right? Uh, my high school is known for it at wow. least. And then like out just outside of Cambridge, there's like a pretty big Mennonite community. Um, so you'd get like, I think Rockway was the high school that had like, the kids coming in who looked like they were 30 already. And it was like, Oh no. Yeah. I didn't drink enough milk to, to wrestle this guy. Um, but yeah, so, so my high school was, was pretty big on the wrestling and then obviously hockey's huge there. Like it is everywhere. I played rep until, I don't know, I was 15 or 16. And then, uh, yeah, once I stopped playing rep and just went down to like play house league stuff with, with buddies, then I started doing basketball and baseball, soccer, lacrosse, um, ball hockey, not, not not ball hockey at a Terry Ryan level, but you know, so some some decent ball hockey. It's um, a great sport. Yeah, and then yeah, wrestling was in there too, and it kind of scratched the, you know, the physical itch that I didn't have from like when I, I'm not playing contact hockey anymore. There was that I still needed to get it out a little bit. Uh, so wrestling was good for that. I just never got all that good at it. So you're. So you played all the sports. Mm -hmm. you, you must have followed all the sports. I mean, I'm assuming your personality hasn't changed too much. <laughs> but you're really into music, like covering lyrics and things, and you often quote lyrics. So you're really, really into music. And I know that I'm into music, and it takes up a large portion of my day. It, it took up a large portion of my day growing up. Do you have brothers or sisters? I have two younger brothers, yeah. Okay, so... Were three of you into the same things, or how did you find the time to do all this? So neither of them were that big into sports. Um, my my first brother, who's like three years younger than me, he wasn't much of a sports guy at all. Um, and then my youngest brother, who's five years younger than me, he played hockey and lacrosse, but not at like a like house league level, pretty much. And um, so they didn't have as much of that. We definitely had more like my middle brother and I had more music stuff in common. Um, also the three of us all like, like when I'm talking about wrestling in high school, I mean like Olympic style wrestling, but yeah. we were all the three of us when we were younger, we're all really into like pro wrestling too. So that was kind of the thing that we had in common and did together and stuff. Um, and then like in my older years, like now we're adults and can connect on other levels. But when we were younger, it was like, yeah, a little bit of music and then pro wrestling and, um, you know, the odd time, some video game overlap or whatever, but a five-year difference feels like an eternity when you're, when you're in high school. Does it ever? So you come out of high school, this is where it gets foggy for me because I know you did those things. I know that you've got your bachelor of commerce. I think it is. I know yep. that you, you went to law school. Wasn't for you, but I know you lived in Vancouver for a period. I know that you lived in Edmonton. So, what happened out of high school? You made your choice. Was it go right to journalism school? No. So I went to so out of high school, I didn't really know what I wanted to do, and I had like good marks and everything, and had been working all through high school to save money. Um, and so Queens Commerce was like, I guess, the best program that you could go to. I don't know. Basically, I didn't know what to do, so I was like. I'm going to pick a good program that you can go a lot of ways with. And then whenever I figure out what I want to do, that'll be like a pretty good base. Um, I didn't like it that much. And at the end of the four years, I still like I graduated. I still didn't know what I wanted to do. So I just kind of did the same thing again where I was like, you know what? I don't really know yet. So I'll go to law school. Um, so I enrolled in law school. I never actually physically showed up for law school. I enrolled and then like a week or two before I was supposed to start. 
Um, I, I called them and explained like, hey, I'm paying for everything myself. I need to take some time to work and make some money so I can afford this and like not fail out of school working 100 jobs. Um, so I deferred to the next year. This was supposed to be at Western. Um, and while it was deferred, I was writing and trying my hand at some podcasting and stuff on the side just for fun. And I was working at Toyota. There's a Toyota plant in Cambridge uh, and Woodstock, which I'd imagine these days employs a lot of the the Newfoundland people that are still in Cambridge. It Um, does. Yeah. That's where my dad worked for 30 years. So, um, and I, I worked there, like I had worked there as a student in the summers, like on the assembly line. And then, um, after school, like I was working in the office doing some like production control stuff. Um, but while I was doing that, I was like, shoot, I'm doing this uh, writing stuff for fun. And I think I'm pretty good at it. Maybe I could give this a try. And like at that point, like all my friends are starting to like get married and buy houses and stuff. And I'm like, ah, I'm going to go back to school for something entirely different and start over. Um, so I went. That's what took me out to Vancouver. I went to University of British Columbia for masters of journalism. Ah. Um, and that's where I, I had mentioned before we came on air that like doing work as an extra and getting to see a little bit of how the TV show or movie sausage gets made, um, getting to experience that a little bit. Um, cause I worked just a million side jobs. Like I was washing windows. I was doing color commentary for the women's hockey team, play by play for the men's basketball team. Wow. What, whatever job they would throw at me, I was doing to like pay for going back to school. Um, So I ended up dropping out of, oh, Edmonton was somewhere in there too. I did like a six week internship at the Edmonton journal over the winter while the NHL was in lockout. So I don't know how much time you spent in Edmonton in the winters. A lot. And there's not much other than the hockey. So no. So like I, I got to do like, a bunch of Oil King stuff, which was cool. Hey, like right. um, Tristan Jari was there at the time, and I think Curtis Lazar. So, like, there were some decent names to cover, um, but there was just not a lot going on in the city. Um, so, anyway, after wow. a year into the program, it was supposed to be a two-year program, um, I got hired by the score. So, I was just like, I'm, I'm not going. Like, I, I sat down with my advisor um, who works for CBC at, at that school, and we were basically like, if this doesn't work out for me, sports writing, am I more likely to use a journalism degree or go back to my business degree? I was like, okay, well, I'm not going to use a journalism totally. degree in 2020 or whatever. Um, so yeah, that was the Vancouver part. And then from there, it was kind of just like, okay, this is the path I'm on and I'm going to kind of next step, next step, next step. I, I didn't have like a, a big master plan. It was just kind of like get a foothold and then do the next thing and then get a foothold and then do the next thing. Fuck, that's really interesting. Um, yeah, and I always wondered that. Cause, okay, I have a folklore degree, which is like, I mean, it was really interesting to do, but it's, I mean, unless you're going to be a librarian, I mean, there are, I guess, jobs in tourism. There, there are few and far between. I used it I, when I had a degree in my hand. It got me onto a film set, really. It, it had nothing to do with what I did. I knew people. It was good to have a degree. But anyway. No, we need, we need you to tell all the Belle Island folklore. I don't know if you know this, but like there are a lot of stories about Belle Island being haunted. Yeah, yeah, there are. We we um, covered. I, I I did mostly. Folklore is such a broad spectrum, like, and it crosses over with uh, anthropology, which mm-hmm. I guess you know. I used to think anthropology before I went to school was more like archaeology, but it's not. It's it's a study of I guess social interactions over you know human yeah. history of social inter as you know. So folklore, you know, story. It's hard to define. The first course you take in folklore is just defining what the word is because it's yeah. kind of everything really. So you know, I I tended to focus on the the stories and traditions and 
superstitions kind of thing and newfoundland folklore is i mean that's why we've we've got a huge department here so do kentucky right the ozark mountains yeah. you get a lot of the same families over that you know mummering for example is a whole course in there because we do it different than other places and it's probably survived most in the world here where it was kind of a throw-in back in the day but anyway i've, I've got a sorry i'll just show you here like this right here that's yeah. the bell island hag that's the like legendary yeah. like uh, oh yeah, you you war guys, you sailors are gonna treat the the women poorly. This this lady's gonna drag you down into the bog. Yeah, that's wild. The Bell Island Hag. Now there's something that a lot of people don't hear anymore. And uh, the Bell Island Hag came up at least three or four times um, in the courses I was doing. So that'll give you an idea. The kind of so the Newfoundland folklore I loved. Um, but the same thing. People are going to get their masters, and they might get offered a job. I don't know, again, running the school library or something. It's like, you know what? I think I'm going to take this. It's one of those things that while you're taking your master's, other jobs, just like journalism, like it's not like you get out. It's not like going to law school and you get out and there's a job right there. You've got it kind of figured out. Um, you know, it's like you're often offered a, a job that's probably better than <laughs> if you had your degree in your hand anyway. So you followed that path. Okay, now. First of all, Queens, I'm guessing you did it all in Kingston, right? Or are there? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you go from, first of all, Kingston. Did you ever go over to Wolf Island? Yeah. Yeah, I did. I, I, I had, uh, so my first year there, my cousin had also gone to Queens. He's out in Alaska now. He lives in Anchorage. Um, uh -huh. And I get so jealous of him sending me pictures of like his backyard rink. It's like a full-size rink, but it's obviously, it's like, it looks like he lives in that movie, Mystery Alaska, where there's yeah. just rinks everywhere. Um, but yeah, he was in Kingston when I first went there and he lived on Wolf Island and I'd like go over there on like Sundays to watch football and stuff like that. So that was like a regular spot. Um, it's so beauty over there. Yeah. I, so a few years ago when my, when my um, first book came out, Dave Bedini of the Rio Statics and of, uh, you know, I, I know him more, more through his sports books than anything. He was a great musician. But anyway, he, he really liked my book. And, and he said, you know, we're going to go on this like mini tour here and uh, speaking to some universities and things to the, the grad students. So he said, hey, if you want to come along, and I was like, uh, yeah, sure, I'd love to go along, you know. So we spoke, and then we went over to Wolf Island where Don Cherry had a place. I didn't realize that till I got there. It was, it was so – it reminded me – well, it reminded me of parts of Newfoundland, Conception Bay, Newfoundland. It reminded me a little bit of Cape Cod. But the backside of Wolf Island, people don't realize – a lot of people don't – is is American, right? Mm -hmm. So there's um, – it's a different flavor – it's a great spot to visit in the summer. I haven't been in the winter, but anyway. So to me, just having been to Kingston and seeing what I saw and going downtown and having a drink in one of the nice local pubs, it looks like a cool spot to go to university. It is. It's um the weather's not great in the winter time. Like it's so beautiful in the summer, and then the winter is like very very gray, and you're right on the lake, so you get a lot oh, of man. harsh stuff. But no, it's cool. It's um, I mean, I I enjoyed the like social aspect of it. I, I don't. The program itself, like obviously, I don't use my degree anymore. I'm not a not a huge capitalism fan, um, but <laughs> but like it, it was a uh, it was a cool spot. Your degree is in fucking business. Yeah, and like it it was cool. I think um, while I was there, Kirk Muller was coaching the university hockey team, oh, yeah. and then I just missed Doug Gilmore coaching the Frontenacs, but like got to meet him once when he was like at a game or whatever. So the, there were a lot of cool like for a hockey fan, there are a lot of cool tie-ins there too. Um, because obviously that that's a city with a lot of uh, a lot of hockey history too. The team, the front act sucked the whole time I was there, though. 
Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, you know what? Ironically, I have the only time I haven't been there is in the winter. Every time <laughs> I've been there is in the summer. I've had buddies there or whatever. And it's completely, to me, it's like this it's kind of summer camp or something. Like there's so much going on. I, I can see what you mean, though. I've heard, I've heard uh, in the winter it changes quite a bit, just like anywhere, I guess. I mean, I'm in St. John's, which is on wheels in the winter and your, or summer. Um, so which sports then, because you cover them all, you as when you started, okay, you go to Vancouver and everything. I mean, you're, you're, it, the whole time, even you're out west. I know you were in Edmonton, and the lockout happened. You were taking whatever jobs, but what were you leaning towards? Uh, it seems to me, when I listen to you now, that you're most into basketball and baseball. But uh, maybe I'm wrong. No, that I mean, that's just kind of the way the career's gone. Like I don't. If I have my choice of like any job in sports media, like I don't really have a preference between basketball, baseball, hockey. Like hockey's the sport that I know the best, like on the ice. And it's the one if I had if someone was like, you like fat, lazy journalist, you have no athleticism whatsoever, I'd be like, okay, like I'll play hockey to show you that I can like move and, yeah. and do things uh sports-wise. Um, and then like baseball scratches like a, a real nerd itch for me because it's so data oriented and there's a yeah. lot of stats and stuff so when i first started i was kind of just figuring it out and doing what i like whatever opportunities came up um so like at ubc i was working for the athletic department and you that's like pretty bare bones of like here's the the facts only and maybe one quote from the coach and you got to be careful because you work for the school and stuff um but when i was blogging and trying some podcasts and stuff I actually think first I was kind of like in this pocket as um, more of an analytics guy. And the reason was, is that like that was, so this would have been like 2012 ish, 2013. And like baseball had had like money ball happen. Right. But hockey and basketball were still a little newer in terms of like all that stuff being a part of regular conversation. Yeah. Um, and a big strength of mine, I think is like making that stuff really easy to understand. So I can't sit down and like make a model or an algorithm or anything like that. I don't have the math chops for it or the computer chops, but I could take all that and like explain it to an average fan really well. I, I use the dad test is what I called it, where my dad, who's a doofy guy who got most of his analysis from Don Cherry, but we played shinny together every Sunday morning, like when he still lived here. Um, if I can't explain it to him, in a way that he can understand and care about, then I'm not explaining it well enough. So like something like Corsi, when it first came out, people were like, oh, Corsi, Corsi, Corsi. Um, and I was like, no, there's a better way to explain this, like, or, or quality of teammate or, or how often you start in the offensive zone and stuff. You can explain all that stuff in just like shinny hockey terms and people will get it if yes. they, they get hockey. Um, so I was doing that for hockey, baseball, basketball, um, even a little bit of like sometimes like UFC or something like that. Um, like I like I like MMA and boxing and stuff like that. Um, but so I, when the score hired me, the idea initially was because I could do all these sports, I could kind of just like fill in wherever they needed. They were really expanding their newsroom at the time. And then like really, really quickly, it was just like clear that our basketball team wasn't as strong as our like everyone wants to do hockey in Canada and we had a good group of baseball people. So it just made sense to use me on basketball more um, yeah, yeah. because like we weren't as strong there. And then that just kind of continued to build. And then when I left the score, 
to do freelance full time and like do my own thing. Um, I had a Raptors site, Raptors Republic, which still exists and is still doing good work without me now. Um, but that was kind of my home base. And then for getting like freelance opportunities at that point, I was like more known as a basketball guy. Hmm. So like it was easier to get it kind of like starts to snowball where you're a basketball guy. So you get more opportunities to do basketball. So you're known even more as a basketball guy. Um, so hockey kind of dropped off first. Like I used to write for like Leafs Nation and Canucks yeah. Army and stuff like that. And I enjoyed it. But like at the score and then in the freelance market in Toronto, like there are just so many people doing hockey that all my opportunities kept coming on basketball and then to a lesser degree baseball. Um, so around like I would say 2015 was when I first went freelance and the Raptors made like a crazy run to the conference finals and the all-star game was here in Toronto and stuff like that. And it just like that year, the timing was so fortunate for me career wise it kind of just like locked me in as a Raptors guy. Um, so when I went to Sportsnet last fall, so I've been there like, I don't know, less than a year and a half now, but the person, the program director of the radio station knew that I was also a baseball guy and that I have like a bit of a hockey background. So it was the same idea where he brought me in thinking I could like, I, I could be good for a morning show or a drive time show. Cause I can do every sport. Um, and you know, my at this point, like my hockey analysis is probably closer to like a fan level that like basketball and baseball. I come at from a like very analytical and like reasonable stamp hockey. I'm still like I catch myself sometimes still being like yelling to shoot it on a power play, you know, um, where that, yeah, that's yeah, all yeah. we want. Um, but no, it, it's been really cool the last like year, year and a half to get to do a bit more hockey to get the like cross pass occasionally with like an Elliot Friedman or a Jeff Merrick or Kipper and Bourne or whatever. Um, and then, yeah, last summer, once the Raptors and Leafs were both knocked out in the first round, they kind of were like, well, I think like I, I would be better used doing my own Jay show for the summer. So that's mm -hmm. what I did last summer. And then back to kind of a general spot once the Jays ended. Um, so this is a very long way of saying I don't have a strong preference. My career's kind of unfolded where basketball is what I do most. Um, basketball and baseball are kind of like 1A, 1B. I, I don't like they're both very fun for different reasons. And then mm. like I still love hockey. It's just, you know, when when you're sharing an office with Kipper and Bourne and Elliot and Merrick, like it's it's hard to see them needing me on hockey in the same <laughs> way that they need me on, you know, baseball or, or basketball. And don't worry about the long answers. I know what that's all about, man. I talk a lot. It's nice to have somebody on that does as well. Um, so listen, here's the thing as well. Like, I've heard Merrick say this. Like, every, every everything is – I just said everything's folklore. Well, everything in the sports world can be analytics. Analytics really is numbers that you're, you know, you're using – you're researching these numbers on particular players, whatever they might be, analyzing the game. So yeah. analytics is always going to be there. Uh, Wayne Gretzky scored most of his goals in the third period. You know, well, yeah. that would mean he's probably got, you know, you can always put things, well, he's probably good late in the game. He's got good <laughs> legs. He's probably got good cardio. You could always draw one thing from the other, which isn't true, by the way. I just, it was just, a, you know, hypothetical. So, yeah. and that's what gets me. That's why I like listening to you because, some analytics aren't relevant. Like people will go on there and say, well, Lucic hasn't scored in so and so long. His game has changed. He had 30 goals this year. And the year he had 30, going back like eight years, it'll say, well, on Tuesdays when they were wearing their white jerseys, 
And I'm like, well, that doesn't have anything to do with it. I'm sure that wasn't in his mind. That part there is a fluke. So please leave that out. You know, he could have been playing with a, I don't know, a great player, Marshawn that year. And there's probably had something to do with it more than wearing the white jerseys. Yeah. Right. Because you can break everything down, which baseball tends to do, but they, for some reason, it gets me. The only sport that I really, really pay attention to analytics is baseball. Um, and I love the movie Moneyball. And I'm not <laughs> this, I, I, I'm not much like my friend uh, Ken Reed. I, I, I don't like to see this age of like no hitters are going the way of the dodo. I, 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 I don't know that I would specifically manage a team like that. Although, you know, you're getting paid millions of dollars. You, you, you know, your job's on the line. Maybe you would. I really don't know. So I, I'm not commenting on it in general. I just like the analytics that you use. There's always a place with them. I just don't find them always relevant. Um, the so, way, so just to kind of, yeah. sorry to inter cut you off. No, there, no, I like, want you to. The way, and this is especially true in baseball, but it's, it's true in basketball and hockey too. Hockey's obviously so hard to capture with like, even just like something like live line changes, like, no yeah. other sport has that. You can't, like, how do you capture that? So it's tough, um, you know, and then we get into things like, okay, well, do we care? Like, can we only really analyze a guy's shift if it starts at a face-off? Because we know where he started and stuff. But the way I try to explain it to people is like, you're right. Everything is analytics. Analytics is like, it has a, like a branding issue or a PR issue. Yeah. Where everyone thinks it's like extremely nerdy stuff. It's like, no, like baseball has used the shift for over a hundred years. I, I couldn't believe that, by the way. I just watched a documentary on Ted Williams and I couldn't believe it. That's something that I didn't realize myself. Yeah. And I'm a fan. Go ahead. Yeah. Ted Williams, a dead pull hitter. So they, yeah. they, they had to, to roll it out for him. And it's like, so the shifts have existed forever. We've known since the invention of baseball that lefties have trouble hitting lefties. Like that's not, this isn't crazy stuff, but the people like, there's obviously a problem and this is, like a societal and political problem too, but like people will go to the far extreme, right? So it's like, this is what the analytics say. This is your expected goals for this game based on your high danger chances and stuff. And so this is all we evaluate and this is what should have happened. And then there's people who will be like, well, this is what actually happened. And this is all I care about. And I don't care if you had, you know, 70% of the scoring opportunities, you didn't score. But that gap in between exists, right? And like, yeah. like the analytics side or numbers or whatever are very helpful for setting a baseline of like, okay, this is what we would expect to happen if the world was perfect and we had perfect information and people like a player doesn't have anything in his mind going into that game. Like you said, you know, the, the white jersey or something like that. Like, like there are no real life factors, but there is this important gap between what actually happens and what is expected to happen. And that's not all. Like, I think sometimes the, the far analytics people will be like, that's luck or it's variance or it's like bad bounces and stuff. But I think that the better takeaway is like, that is the area of sports that like, we just can't capture. We can't quantify really, you know, like maybe yeah. a line doesn't have good chemistry together, but one night they're just snapping, right? Like one night it's just clicking. Um, or, you know, even this year there was something with the Jays where they were one of the most heavily shifting teams in baseball. And then you look at the numbers at one point, it's like, well, this is working for four of their pitchers and it's destroying Kevin Gosman. Mm -hmm. And it's like, okay, so this doesn't apply to everyone. There's that gap between expected and actual that that's where we learn a lot and have to learn about like 
the people side of things, the locker room side of things, the even just like knowing that there's some stuff we can't capture, right? So um, I don't know. I think I think the analytics stuff's useful. I think the it has a branding problem, but I also think that it has like a bit of an issue of like if you're like dogmatic about it or that's all you look about, look at or care about, you get into like some pretty quick blind spots with that too ignoring that there's like a big human element and yeah some luck but it's also like if you get a bad some bad puck luck one shift how do you respond to that right like there are human elements at play there um so i hope that i do a decent job like blending the analytics side of things and, and like helping you know have smart conversations or whatever without losing the fact that like these are real people and real athletes and like there's an element like Sure, hockey. I can. I I know what a guy's trying to do out there. I, I play hockey and stuff. When it comes to baseball, like I have to go to the numbers because I've never hit a ninety mile an hour fastball. I have no idea what the mechanics of that are like, or what a pitcher's trying to do throwing yeah, a slider yeah. that breaks across the plate. Like there's a there's a gap there that like someone in my position can't quite grasp, which is why like a guy like Joe Siddle on the Jays broadcast is so useful where he might not have as much use for my analytics, but I can take my numbers to him and be like, okay, hey, what's actually going on with this guy's swing or this guy's defense or whatever. Uh, sorry, I'm rambling again on you here. But. No, no, I, I, fuck. You're talking to the fucking main rambler in North America. I get it. <laughs> it's a fucking problem. I, I, I often said like, I get anxiety and that that's the way I harness my energy. I like writing. I like talking. So this is actually a great outlet. It always Perfect. is. And I love having people on that ramble like I do. Um, no, that's really interesting. Now, the Carl English book, how did you come to be a co-author there? And by the way, I loved it. For those that don't know, go get the book, but just do a quick Google search on Carl English, and it's the most, to me, it's it's one of my favorite, definitely my favorite sports story ever from Newfoundland. Bar none, this hands down. There's nothing close. And one of the most underdog against the odds Crazy stories, not not just because where he came from, he had so much turmoil in his life, and and he beat just beats he beat the odds more than once. Not only where he was from, what he went through, um, you know, so much. And he's our most successful basketball player, and I he's I'm the proudest of of him than any other athlete that ever came from this province. How did you come into the? I mean, I know you're a basketball fan, you know who he is. So did you did you meet him and decide on this? Did he phone you? How did this happen? So. The first interview with the athlete I ever did was actually with Carl English. So wow. uh, when I was first starting to like blog and stuff um, just for fun, you know, I had always followed his career. And at this point, I think he was playing in Spain. Um, I'd always followed his career because it was cool to me that like the same way I'm sure like Newfoundland people like follow the Newfie hockey players. Right. And, and um my my dad like he's a leaf fan but then he's a fan of any of the new fee kids that are yeah. that are there as well so he would always mention carl english and like my dad's not a basketball fan really so um that was like his only basketball thought was like oh yeah there's this this new fee kid that i hear about that like is going to play college ball or whatever um so i had tracked his career as much as you could at, on the internet at that time and then one day i just like i think i emailed his agent and I was like, hey, I'd like to do a story on Carl. Like, I have family from Newfoundland. Um, I'd love to talk to him. And I just emailed him. And then we hopped on the phone. Um, this would have been, like, I don't know, 2010 maybe. Um, yeah. So that happened. And then we we connected a couple other times over the years where, like, 
Um, if Team Canada camp was in Toronto, you know, I, I'd be there anyway. So I, I'd shoot the breeze with him or whatever. And then when he was playing for the St. John's Edge, yeah, he was in Kitchener one time for a game. And I happened to be home visiting Cambridge. Um, so I popped it, I messaged him and I was like, Hey, I'm going to come by and like, I'll write about like you playing for the St. John's edge and like what the, you know, it was kind of a, a bigger picture story about like basketball in Newfoundland and what this, what the, um, the NBL was trying to do. Um, you know, now I know the growlers are there instead and it's, it's CBL as much as anything. But at the time it was a pretty big deal that Carl was ending yeah. his international career to play for Newfoundland and try to build that team. Um, so I did that story and then we just kind of stayed in touch. And then when he was like kicking around whether or not to retire, so this would have been like end of 2018 ish, um, maybe early 2019, he hit me up and basically he had gone to the publisher, which is Flanker Press. It's a Newfoundland publisher. Yeah, they um, published my second book. Oh, nice. Yep. Um, and yeah, I guess they had kicked around a couple ideas of like having one of their people ghostwrite it with them, but Carl messaged me and, and, you know, I think he wouldn't say this, but part of it is like, you're not going to get like probably a Michael Grange or a Doug Smith or someone like that to, to write it. Like they're, they're, you know, they wrote Steve Nash's book and stuff. Not that Carl's not important, I know but what like, you mean. Yeah. yeah, I've been through the, through the game. I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. So, um, partly that, and then partly, I think it was important to Carl to have someone who at least knew a little bit about where he was from to try to capture that element of it. Like even what something like writing about him pulling out cod tongues for spare chain, like spending money. Right. Like yeah. that's not, you know, I, I didn't grow up there, but I know enough about it and spent enough time there and um, learned enough about it over the years to at least have a feel for where he's from. Um, so yeah, in 2019, so it ended up, I, I agreed to do it. And then, the Raptors won the championship and suddenly my like whole off season to work on it became like, Oh, I have this tiny little window after the championship. Um, wow. So I flew out to Newfoundland and um, so Carl, I don't know if he's still there, but he's based in paradise at the time, uh, which was very he's convenient. Gotta be, he's got a real successful basketball clinic here. Yeah. Um, which was great for me because at that time my grandma lived in paradise as well. Um, she was at like a, not a nursing home, but like a retirement place. Like one of the, one of the nice ones where you're like playing bingo and stuff all the time. Um, so I could, I like would stop, I would spend a couple hours of the day with Carl and his family, like talking to him and recording stuff and kind of planning out what the book would look like, hearing stories and, and going through his old newspaper clippings and stuff. And then I'd go see my grandma and then Carl would drop me off back at Portugal Cove and I'd ferry over to see my dad um, on Belle Island. And that was kind of the process. Now there was some like, it was only supposed to be like a eight or nine day trip. And then it ended up, my dad got really sick while I was there. And so I ended up spending like a month. Um, and I was like based out of Mount Pearl at my, my aunt Colleen and uncle Fred's um, because my dad was in the hospital for like an, a really extended stretch. So I was like working on the book at the Munn hospital and like with my, like in my dad's hospital room and stuff. <laughs> and then like occasionally like, going over to Carl's to like wow. have dinner or like work a on a bit more of the book and stuff. And it became this whole thing where like, yeah, I don't know. I think it ended up being almost a month that I was there and it was like, it was very, very hard because of the stuff that was going on with my dad. But it was like, it was kind of cool to like have that immersive element of like, I'm working on this book about 
a, an athlete who has very deep Newfoundland roots and being from Newfoundland is such a huge part of the story. And also I'm like do working on it while I'm in Newfoundland. Um, yeah. so there was a, a cool element of that. And then there was also like a really fortunate timing element of like me just like being there when my dad was going through all that stuff and, um, and needed it and stuff. So, uh, yeah, 2019 summer was a bit of a chaotic one for me in Newfoundland. That's well, you'd listen, the flavor did come out. Uh, it just, I don't know how much feedback you get on it from, from Newfoundlanders. I mean, and it's a great book anyway, we're reading it, but as someone from here and, and you did, there was your experience here in the province, I think helped. I think if one of those guys you mentioned did it, I, all the confidence in sports writers, it, same thing for me. Like I wasn't, I was approached to do a book. I can't remember the guy's name on the spot here, but it was Winnipeg free press. Okay. He used to come on all the time, analyze hockey. Great guy. He was going to ghostwrite my book. And then as I was in school, I mean, taking folklore, my minor's English. And folklore is a lot of storytelling. So a lot of the courses I was doing, I said, you know what? I think maybe I'm going to do it myself because I wanted that flavor that, that, that you brought to Carl's book. I wanted that kind of flavor for myself. And I said, I don't know if anybody can tell the story the way that I want to. I, I know there's something there. That, and And with me personally on a different level, they wanted to kind of focus a little bit on the turmoil with Montreal. Mm. And, you know, I had a couple of bad, I wanted to trade. I had a bad relationship with Michelle Terry, but I loved my time in Montreal. So not only did I want, you know, to, to tell my story, I'm still proud to play for the Canadians Didn't work like out like I wanted, but a few things in there, I don't think a mainlander quote unquote would really have captured um, like, like the upbringing and really putting that into the imagery of, of, of him growing up where he did. And uh, when I say that, folks, it's, people listening probably don't know I should describe it. He's from a place uh, co close to where, like, I guess beyond Placentia, I guess if you're in Newfoundland, you'd know where that is. And then you drive out towards Branch and there's uh, Patrick's Cove, is it, right? Yeah. Uh, just, you know, it was, a, it was a hoop on the side of the road he would shoot on. And, uh, you know, the brothers, I'm real good friends with Kevin. I know Michael pretty well. Brad, I've met. Um, Anyway, they, they just had a story, man, and uh, they went through a lot when they were younger. And this is the thing. When I read the book, it gave me goosebumps, brought me to tears a couple times, not only just on the success of this guy, but the way that you, you, know, you presented everything that happened to him. And you, you, can, and you, you kind of go back because it's not just chronological order. A lot of these things stay with you mm -hmm. and make you great, right? Like that, that wasn't. We, we, it's, some people battle adversity and everything and kind of leave it, but I think everything that he battled it, from where he's from and being told he can't and he's not big enough and he's not and, and he's not going to do it and he's from Newfoundland and it, he can't be a star. And to me, all of that came together and that is the reason that he's Carl English. You, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like that's he, he's always could shoot a ball. A lot of people can shoot a ball, but he was so driven to get better and then to go to Hawaii of all places. Yeah. But know. I mean, you think about it. Like, I know hockey doesn't have the like way fewer guys go to college, but imagine yourself, like if there wasn't, you know, the OH, like if there wasn't the CHL path and we didn't thrust hockey prospects into the NHL and AHL so quickly and like schools were hitting Terry Ryan up be like where do you want to play hockey for the next couple of years and they're like we'll fly you out to Hawaii so you can see what it's like you you think you're ever coming back no I loved it uh, I remember the first I, I knew 
about Carl. Everybody did. Everybody did. Just the fact that, you know, just being good in high school here, everybody knew who he was. But, you know, he went to Hawaii and then again without. The, so I always like you'd have to check in to see how he was doing because and by that, I mean, like, I don't know, make a phone call or look through a magazine. Yeah. You know, because there was no again, no Internet. It's hard to. It was the hardest part of was, doing the but, book, yeah. probably. Oh, the hardest part was like the emotional stuff and making sure right. I was saying it. Like when I went through my first edit of the book, there was like, I was, I'm pretty self-critical in general, but there were points where I'm like, no, no, no. This sounds like Blake Murphy, not like Carl English. Like <laughs> this, this is not my story. Get out of here. Um, but the, the other hardest thing was like, Carl has these memories of like this game or this tournament or whatever. But because the early parts yeah. of his career were before we were logging everything on the internet, like it was really tough to verify some of the numbers. And a couple of times I had to be like, Carl, I think you only had like 35, not 45 in that game. And, and um, you know, and how would you? Like I said, yeah. it's it's tough for me. I look back and to find my junior stats that the totals are there. Yeah. But I've talked about these games. I had a hat trick once. I had a hat trick on an empty net in Portland. <laughs> um, it, it just worked out like that. I went out there and I scored an empty net, or now we're only up by two. They scored. Now I get out there and I was having a really, really bad game. I scored again. <laughs> then they scored. I went out and scored again. All within, like, it, it, we, the boys pumped. They laughed. I brought this up and I tagged Tri-City Americans, and they don't even know about it. No. Like, so unless you were there with me, and I'm figuring, you know, again, I bring it back on me. I'm not trying to, but... No, At no. that time, that time for an athlete, especially if, if you were anything other than a pro sport guy, like it's hard to really dig it up. But anyway, I, I came across them again. There was an article in uh, Sports Illustrated called Island Hopper. Yeah. And it, 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 it brought into my, okay, this, wow, this is how good he's, he's actually been you know and then you know he's up for the draft and everything it was wild i'm um, uh i'm still mad at the raptors like i i, yeah, you'd figure, I get you it i get it they if they didn't think he could make the team the pr of cutting him would have been bad but like you could have drafted him and then that one year that he tried out for the team obviously jamario moon ended up being like a pretty good find and a pretty good player but yeah. like how is him being canadian not a good tiebreaker I mean, exactly. I, we all figured that. And you can imagine, you know, um, like we're just so proud of him. We always were. But that's one of the, I won't say blunders. because It's not a big enough to be a, be a blunder a lot of people. But at the time for for me as a, just as a Canadian fan, just as a basketball fan and all that came together, I think there was a missed opportunity. I, yeah. I think. And I think if he came along now, um, yeah. you know, like at the time, like he played in the D League. But at that time, it was a small league. It wasn't really like it yeah. was associated with the NBA, but not in the same way now. And like still like in basketball, it's nothing close to the NHL, AHL relationship where you have 50 contracts and you can have guys, you know, you can loan them out to Europe or whatever. NBA, it's you got 17 guys and a couple of them can go down to the minors at a time, but that's it. And you don't get to replace those 17. Um, yeah. But what the 905 have done, the Raptors uh, minor league team that, that came in around 2015, 2016, um, what they've done is this this year being the exception, this is the first time they haven't had a Canadian, but they have always used that as a good tiebreaker of like, we want a local guy on the team. We want someone who connects with the community, whether it's Scarborough or Brampton or downtown Toronto or whatever. Um, you know, they sent Delano Banton down there uh, just now for like a, just to get some work in and he's a Rexdale kid. So same, same kind of things. Um, 
like that, that if he if Carl came along now and the Raptors were like, oh, we don't think he's good enough for the NBA yet and we don't want to cut him, like the, the G League would have been an option. Yeah. And at least then he would have like foot in the door to play his way onto the onto the team. But at the time he came up, like that that system didn't exist to get him an opportunity. And he was not trying to check anyone's pockets or anything, but like if you are almost an NBA level player or like a bottom, mm. like if you could make the NBA, you make pretty good coin overseas and like living in the Canary Islands in Spain and stuff is not uh not yeah. too bad, I don't think. Uh, and that's another thing a lot of people uh, I, I, I don't think realize. Um, basketball is a sport um, that it, it, I mean, it's played pretty globally. Like it's a, it's, yeah. it's a global sport, but uh, you know, a lot of people, a lot of basketball fans really only know the NBA, which, which is fine. I mean, that's what we, you know, that's our culture, but it's played all over. And there's some great, just like hockey. I say to people, I'm like, you know, so-and-so, you might be down on him. He didn't make the NHL, but, like, he's living right now in Switzerland, and he's getting paid good money, and I'm sure he's not worried about it, you know? Like, yeah. there's, there's, there's avenues. Hockey fans, light the lamp this winter with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL. New customers can bet just $5 pre-game money line on any NHL team to win their game and get $150 in free bets if they do. If that wasn't enough excitement, you can turn small bets into bigger payouts with same-game parlays. Combine multiple bets like which team will win, how many goals will be scored, and more for your shot at an even bigger payout. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code THPN, bet $5 on any NHL team to win their game, and get $150 in free bets if they do. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code THPN. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Okay, do you mind doing one more section with me, rapid-fire randoms? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, here we go. Blake Murphy, rapid-fire randoms. And usually these are real rapid-fire, but uh, some of these might even... you, you Feel free to ramble. I was going to say, me and you doing rapid-fire, this isn't going to yeah, go well. it's going to be another hour. <laughs> uh, okay. You've uh, you've come into Sportsnet and you see that Jeff Merrick. You go into your locker and you see that he's stolen your lunch and you're pissed off. You just broke up with your girl, <laughs> so you take a hatchet and you lop his head off. Now, in this hypothetical world, there's the death penalty in Ontario. You're on death row. What are you going to have for your meal? What a what a way to set this one up. Yeah, um, I rambled too. I could have just said, "What's your death row meal?" Yeah, but there you go. Very Merrick specific. Had to get his head lopped off in this version. Very specific. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, like, I guess just like a big fat steak dinner. You know, I'd I'd love to play to the crowd and say jigs dinner or something like that. But uh, I don't know if you've yeah. had uh, boiled carrots and turnip lately. Every, uh, not every... not my. <laughs> Not my death row meal. Yeah, my, my mom makes it every Sunday. Uh, um, like Christmas dinner sort of thing, jigs dinner. Yeah. Very, very, I, very I don't miss I don't miss that part of my dad living here where him and my stepmom would make a jigs dinner as part of Christmas. It's I, I like the salt beef, but the we're gonna boil all the bad vegetables and mush them together with not a lot of seasoning. That that part of it I don't miss. And look, I didn't realize till it's salt beef. Yeah, it's good once in a while, but you can't be having that. Like my, <laughs> you know, my grandfather would would he was the type to have 
you know, like he ate bacon every day. I'm like, Jesus, how do you? And and he would have salt beef like all the time. It was with a lot. Like he would he would toss it into any kind of soup. You know what I mean? Like a, it was just one of those things around the house. And I, as I got older, I'm like, geez, this is probably not the healthiest. <laughs> My youngest but, brother too would like at a Christmas dinner or whatever, you'd look at his plate and it's just salt beef. Yeah. It's like, God. okay, it's, <laughs> oh, you're going to, you're going to pass out here, fall off your chair. Yeah. Uh, okay. Your favorite sports team ever. If you had to pick one team. Ooh, um, like time specific. It doesn't too? have to be from Canada. It could be the, okay. I don't know, the 55 Yankees for any reason. Okay. I will. I mean, the championship Raptors is the easy answer. Um, but to go a little off board, I will say the Legion of Doom era, Philadelphia Flyers, the Leclerc, Renberg, Lindros, like that was my team. Yeah. Like I, I was one of those kids that like I had shirts of like every team or like I like. I was a Leaf fan, but I liked every team. So had a, an Avalanche starter jacket or like some Flyers gear or whatever. Um, you know, most of it hand-me-downs and stuff. But yeah, that era of the Flyers was, I was a big Lindros guy. And like, I read his yeah, book, me too. his book, Fire on Ice, was like one of the first like real books that I read. Um, and then, yeah, that, that line and the branding of it uh, was really good. That was a, like watching Sports Desk every morning to see what those guys did. That was uh, my first NHL game, and and I loved them. I mean, wow. that was the era. That I got drafted where I did because the quote unquote power forward, right? Yeah. Doan, Doan went seventh. Aguila went eleventh. Um, there was a bunch I could go through, but a, a lot of Brad Church went through seventy. There was a lot of like power forward, and it was all, you know, things are cyclical, uh, and and I, I think that was just right in that, you know, Lindros was coming in. He changed a lot. Can you remember nineteen ninety one, him being in the Canada Cup? Well, remember, might be, you know, you're a little younger than me, but the, the, the 91 Canada Cup, he's he's playing for Team Canada, and he made an impact, and he was hitting, he was, you know, but by that I mean he wasn't, I, I don't believe he was either drafted or just drafted, but he was a junior, he'd never played an NHL game before, and it was, he was one of the best players on the ice. People, because he played so long, he loves hockey, he got hit, and he had those injuries, and last going off, early 2000s, I think, he's just a pale comparison. A lot of people only know him as that. And I feel, I almost feel bad for his legacy um, because he was one of the best players that I've ever seen with my own two eyes. <clears throat> yeah, um, he's, uh, if he's something else. Like, fascinating career thing. There's also the weirdness of, like, the yeah. draft and stuff like that. Um, yeah, all weird. But, man, that's uh, – and then, like – you see it, right? Like you, even you look back at the at the stats and like he won the heart in the shortened season. Mm. It was like, man, this guy was like a point and a half a game guy on mm. top of being like super physical. Super um, physical. Yeah. Uh, if you had a superpower, what would it be? Um, if you if you could have a superpower, yeah. what would you pick? Invisibility, I think. Sneaking You're, up, sneaking. Hey, why not? Uh, it's as good as any. I. A lot of people say flying. I don't know where I am on that. I've thought about it. In invisibility. I think I'd like to live a week being able to fly and then a week being invisible. Yeah. And, and see where I went with it. Um, I'm just, a, I'm not in a, I'm not in that much of a rush. I don't need to fly that, that often. That's a good uh, way to put it. You know, yeah. it sounds like a cool thing, but really you can get a flight somewhere. Yeah. You know, you can drive and be there just as bad. It would be fun and cool. But I can't think of any major advantage 
major, major. I mean, of course, you fly like a bird. That's an advantage in a yeah. few ways physically. But I guess you know. flying becomes more valuable if, like, if we're assuming you need the superpower to fight bad guys, then flying yeah. becomes a little more important. If we're just talking everyday life, I think invisibility is like way more effective, like way more scenarios where it could come up. Yeah, it's a good, good way to put it. This is episode 135, and that's the best explanation for invisibility that I've heard. You're in a spaceship to Mars, okay, and back. So this is going to take about six months to get there or more, and then six months back. And uh, I guess this is in a couple of years from now when we're right at the precipice, but now it can finally be done, and they're looking for people to go, and you're going to be one of them. Now, yeah, so six months, so a year-round trip, you you got to pick someone that you know, an acquaintance at the very least, a family member or a friend, to be the chef. Who would it be? Oof. Uh, okay, so uh, one of my best buds is named Steve. His stepdad like and i've met him enough times that i can vouch for this but like he used to be a restaurateur and like when they have family christmas parties and stuff like that like they go all out and i'm okay. close enough with the family at this point that i get the invite um i think steve's stepdad robert would be good answer who I'm, who I'm going with who would be the dj who would you take so you oh, take me. one person to be the chef take one person to be the dj yeah me i i'm i'm taking the ox cord yeah i figured um, judging by your uh, love of music. Okay, and you got to take one of these people. So you need a chef, you need a DJ, everything else is taken care of for you. It's on autopilot. You know, you're going to assume you know how to be an astronaut. But you got to take one of these people who's also coming along with you that really adds nothing but conversation and common sense. David Hasselhoff, David Suzuki, David Beckham, or David Letterman? Which David do you take? Ooh. I think I go Letterman because that's a year stuck in a spot with someone. The amount of stories that guy probably has, and you're going to need the the comedic relief. Like, I have no use for Beckham on a trip like that. Suzuki yeah. would be cool, I guess, like, if we had, like, a project to do on Mars and we had to, like, yeah. you know, do some science stuff. There was actual science involved. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, Hasselhoff, if we think they're going to be babes on Mars that, that I need a wingman for. But no, I think Letterman has the most use in the space shuttle for a year. Good answer again. So you got uh, you either you get a chance here. One of these things is a gift and you're going to pick one and get to do it to fruition. You tour with Wu-Tang Clan or act with Edward Norton. Ooh, um, I'm going to go with Wu-Tang. I saw them this summer. They played Bud Stage in Toronto. Um, they were here with Nas. And I don't know if it's like part of the regular tour or just Canada or whatever, but a couple members couldn't, like, weren't at that show. Like, me being the utility guy filling in for the other members, that'd be sweet. I, I don't know if in this scenario am I, like, getting to perform with them or just, like, sitting around. But, yeah, I, I'm going Wu-Tang, I think. Okay. Uh, be a I bit of a rush too. Yeah, I would, and like I have no musical talent. Like I probably have a better shot of getting uh, an acting nod at some point than I do a music nod. Um, mm. But yeah, that's that's just too cool. Like imagine the stories you'd have a, of a month on tour with Wu Tang. Be amazing. And the, the you know the the immediate rush gratification of of going on the stage, I think, would be a nice adrenaline kick. 
Um, whereas acting is, but you know, you, you don't really, I think there's parallels. I've always said it with acting and hockey, you're performing, you're, but I think there's more parallels with, with, with being a musician in that. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, just think about it. You're most of them, you're playing the same kind of stadium. Um, which athlete do you most admire? Could be dead, living, whatever. Hmm. I mean, Carl's up there. Mm, Not to, too. again, do the the newfie answer, but getting to know him and getting to know his story and things like that. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I'll go with that as an answer, as a kind of reserve answer. Um, you know, two very prominent Raptors in Pascal Siakam and Fred Van Vliet are both like, come from nothing, no expectations, grind it out and like turn yourself into from nothing into an all-star guys. And I, I always, you know, I, I can associate with those stories more than like, Hey, LeBron James was born LeBron James and is like, like obviously worked super hard, but that's not as aspirational to me. I'm great that he like gives back to communities and stuff like that. But the, the kind of grind it out, come from nothing, got it out the mud guys are, are kind of more my speed. Now, speaking of the Raptors, why do you, how do you, what do you do this, this season? Do, do you, do you go for like, I, I don't know. Re I, before all this, I, I, I don't want to be down on them. I love following them and I love their personalities more than anything in the last couple of years. I really, really give a connection, you know, to these players, but, Lately, I, I don't know what's happening there. They're, they're, they're really not living up to expectation. What do you do here? Yeah, I think they're kind of stuck in the in-between, and that was fine for a little while. You know, you have the, the afterglow of the championship where mm -hmm. you're kind of ramping back down and you're seeing some of the vets leave. Um, you know, maybe a missed opportunity to have gotten something for some of those guys mm -hmm. as, they, as you were kind of pivoting out of that era. But also, like, the team was pretty good the, in the follow-up season, uh, until the pandemic hit. Um, so I, I think they're kind of in a weird in-between right now where, you know, I, I, saw, I know some fans want them to, to tank and, and try to get to the bottom and get another high draft pick like Scotty. But Pascal Siakam is like a top 15 player in the league. Yeah. And he's right in his prime. Like, it's not realistic to trade a guy like that away and think you're going to ever get an, a, another guy who's that good. Um, like, he might... You know, yeah. he's he's just shy of that, like, Vince Carter, Kawhi level of you wait a whole lifetime, a whole franchise time to find a guy who can play at that level for multiple seasons. So I think they're in this weird in-between where it's not going to happen for them this year. Um, they'll probably end up in the playoffs or the play-in tournament because the bottom of the East is pretty bad. And even if they sell some pieces, you know, Siakam and OG and Scotty Barnes, you're going to win some games with those guys anyway. But if I'm them, you know, I think Siakam, OG, Scotty Barnes are all pretty hard to trade. Fred would be a really, really tough one for me because he's meant so much to the organization, like culturally and leadership wise and stuff. Um, but anyone below that on the pecking order, if you can get something for him at the trade deadline that helps you for next year or the year after, you really got to look at it. Even like, you know, I like Gary Tran. I like Chris Boucher. But at this point, like, this isn't your year. I, I don't think you're going to win a playoff series. You got to take a look ahead to, to next year and the year after um, and some hard decisions with a couple of those guys. What, what do you do if you're the Lakers, really? I mean, are they, are they the only ones that believe that they're good? Like, what's happening here? And they Well, I don't know if you saw the quotes last night from LeBron. No, I've but, seen But uh, basically, you so know, they it's, lost, right? They, it's, they lost to the Heat last night, I think. Yeah, they, they okay. always lose. Yeah. Um, 
But no, it was like the most somber we've really heard LeBron. He's he's turns 38, I think, tomorrow. Um, and the Lakers are like seven games under 500 and like way out of even a play-in spot. And he basically said that he had always thought he'd play a really long time and physically it won't be a problem. Um, I think he's even said before like he'd like to play till he's 45, like Tom Brady. So he'd have like seven seasons left. But last night he was talking about like um, mentally is going to be the limiting factor for him. Like it's not physical. It'll be like when his brain can't do it anymore. And he basically said, I I'm not playing at this age to lose. Um, so I don't know. Like, I, I think, I don't think you could ever get fair value for him, but I think like if LeBron were open to it, the smart move for that franchise would be to trade him and, and try to kind of rebuild and re like they traded away a lot of stuff over the last couple of years to get not a very good team around LeBron. Um, yeah. Maybe at some point you have to kind of recoup that because I think the the obvious part at this point is they have no idea how to build that roster around LeBron, um, especially like he's still LeBron right now, but what if in the next year or two he has to slow down of like, you know, maybe he's only the second best player on the team or the third best player on the team. Like eventually he's going to slow down um, yeah. and they have just like not shown they can build anything around him. If I'm LeBron, I, I'm looking at, you know, he can opt out after next year, I think. Um, I'm I'm probably looking at other things. Yeah, agreed there as well. Um, so, the, the Nets. <laughs> it's like, I, I'm just, this is my own curiosity. These aren't written down questions, but the net, like, I, I, I can, I, even going back a couple of years now, you know, you start to get behind them. We all know that at some point something's going to happen. There's going to be like a tsunami or there's going to be a natural disaster and Kawhi is going to take, or not Kawhi, um, Kyrie Irving is going to take yeah, 20 oh, games Kyrie. off, right? It's, it's going to happen, something. And and that's why it just seems like a a, a time bomb or, 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 or a bomb that's going to explode. But I think they're on a nine or 10 game heater. What, what do you think? Where, where do, what's the possibilities for the Nets this season? They're, they're awful and they're great, but... In the balance are players other than, I mean, I, I really like Kevin Durant, but I don't know. There's something. I just don't like Irving as an, I, I wouldn't want him as a teammate. And I, they could win 15 in a row, 20 in a row, and I still don't have confidence. What do you think? Yeah, the, the Kyrie thing's tough. I think, you know, in terms well, of watching him, by the way. Oh, yeah. Get me wrong. Yeah. I think yeah, he's one he's, of the best I've ever seen, but anyway. Yeah, he's dynamic. The the cool handle, the, the deep range and everything. Um but yeah, he's an annoying guy and an annoying figure. Um, so I think if you were being optimistic about the Nets, you would say that time bomb you're talking about, maybe they managed to avoid it with all the Kyrie stuff that happened, firing Steve Nash, like that is behind them now. And yeah, with Kyrie, like it could blow up at any point. But I think for them, they're probably like, okay, we got through it. We survived it. And now things yeah. are clicking where this deadly offense um, and like a, a better than expected defense. And the thing with Kyrie is like, we've seen when it gets to playoff time, like Kyrie can lock in. Like he hit one of the yeah. biggest shots in NBA playoff history. He has champ. He, like he's won at the highest level in a similar role to what they want him to play next to Kevin Durant right now. So I think if you're a Nets fan, you could be like, well, you avoided that. The worst case scenario from all that. And all you need to get out of Kyrie Irving is just like, come April, give me two months. 
and that's it. And like him and Kevin Durant are friends. Yeah. Like I, I, if I'm Kevin Durant, I'm just like pleading with him. Like, look, after we win the championship, if during the parade you want to have the mic the whole time, sure, I'm not going to be on your part of the float. But you, you go yeah. just get me through the next two months. Give me these two months because it's like this Brooklyn thing is so huge for Kevin Durant's legacy. Like clearly a top fifteen player of all time. And he, you know, when he won title, he got the finals MVP, not Steph. But it's still like he's made yeah. career decisions that people have been pretty critical of. And this one with Brooklyn has like backfired over and over again. I don't know. I, I think when you have Kevin Durant and he's playing at a Kevin Durant level, you're always thinking championship. But yeah, the, the margin for error with them is pretty slim. In a way even though I have more confidence at the time in Rodman, but it, they kind of had to, you know, the Bulls had to kind of reel him in a little bit. And, you know, I, I believe, you know, he was just, when Rodman started to do things for shock value that Irving's doing, I kind of, and I was a Bulls fan back then. I mean, I don't want to seem like a bandwagon, but it was impossible not to like Michael yeah. Jordan or at least be intrigued. So I watched every every game that they played for that reason because Jordan was playing. And I always remember going, geez, Rodman, you know, I'd see him on David Letterman getting married to himself and, you know, going on these trips. Well, The Last Dance, for those who haven't seen it, check it yeah. out. Anyway, it reminds me of the same thing. But, yeah, if the Nets are on and the Knicks are clicking, they're as good a pick as anybody to win it. Your best Christmas memory of all time. Ooh, um... Okay, this is this is gonna sound like a cheat answer because it just happened. But um, so I have a 19 month old nephew. It's my first time being an uncle, uh, and I got him. So for his birthday in May, I got him a Fisher Price basketball net, and he loves playing with that and stuff. And this year, um, I was in Cuba a couple months ago, and I got him his first baseball glove there. This like old school little leather style one. Um, but I also got him his first mini sticks this year, and we spent like a good chunk of Christmas Day playing mini sticks and it was just like ah. like i i don't know that it felt really special like obviously i have good memories of like my self as a kid and stuff like that um but now getting to like pay it forward and be like the cool sports uncle um it was really it, it i don't know maybe if i thought about it more there are better ones but it, it's pretty pretty sweet to be the the cool fun uncle that is introducing him to sports and like he's like body checking me and then like i go flying and he's like laughing hysterically and he's like getting in trouble from his mom for slashing me um <laughs> but i'm and i'm like selling it like death so i don't know it's this is a pretty fun christmas no that's awesome uh your favorite city to visit um so one that I've been to multiple times, um, I'd say Chicago in the U.S. is uh, city, it's man. up there. And then if we're if we can include places I've only been once, so I don't know if like you can go, like I don't know what the revisit value is, but I love Dublin. Like I did two weeks in Ireland a couple years ago and drove oh, wow. around the north just for fun. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah, I, I flew into Dublin, spent a couple days there, and then uh, rented a car and drove all along the north and west coast over the over the course of like a week, week and a half. Um, cool. But yeah, Dublin is uh, is right up there. You get the mix of like, obviously there's the the drinking culture um, and, and, you know, all the distilleries and breweries and stuff. But there's also, I mean, you would appreciate this. Like there's a ton of literary history there. Like if you are like a book nerd, um, there's just so much to do and learn there. Um, that was pretty sweet as well. I always found it. I always, when I, 
look, it surprises me the population of Ireland because same thing. I, but I did English in school, and there's a whole section of English poets and playwrights and and writers and novelists, and and it's not really that heavily populated for somewhere that's represented so much artistically. And yeah. a lot of people just associate it with pubs and drinking. And I'm like, no, <laughs> man, Ireland's got so much to give. Well, in, in Newfoundland, um, we we obviously have a little bit of a different slant on it because most, well, a lot of our descendants come from there, but definitely our culture is borrowed most from Europe. If you we were to talk, Europe would be Ireland when it comes to music and our even our accents and things. At least I think so. Um, anyway, that's really interesting. What goes on a perfect pizza? Uh, I'm I'm easy with pizza. If I'm ordering for me, I go Hawaiian. Um, I know the pineapple thing is like people I get angry. People get angry about it or whatever. I, I've never really understood caring about like what other people want to eat. Uh, so I would go Hawaiian if it's just me, but I'm I'm pretty easy as long as there's no like. I think the only thing I've ever really had on a pizza that I was like, what what is the point of this? Is like tomato slices when there's already tomato sauce on it. Uh, otherwise, I'm easy. Any it's pizza, man. You can't go wrong. You've got a pal that's, you know, he's or she is is in tune with. Everything you are, like a knowledgeable person, everything just so happens to have never watched a movie. Watch some TV shows, and just so happens to have never watched a movie. You've got three movie picks to give to this person. And to prove to them that, hey, man, like you should, you should, you should go to the movies. You should watch movies. These are my favorites. Every Friday, if you want to start sitting down, they say to you, you know, every Friday I'm going to watch a movie. You give three to turn them on to the, to the film industry. What would they be? Okay, I think, um, I mean, I'll say Goodfellas because Godfather is obviously the obvious answer. Um, yeah. I, I also think if you're trying to hook someone in, Goodfellas is a little, like, snappier. Like, it's a it's an easier popcorn movie. Totally um, agree. Yeah. Um, I mean, Hitchcock. I love the Godfather, too, by the way. I just find yeah. Goodfellas is a hard one to, like... God, if you watch that, even if you're not into the mafia, you're you're not even interested. It's a goddamn great movie. Yeah. Um. And then I'll go. I'll go Hitchcock's Vertigo because I God, think nice. it's like the I think it's like the best like kind of horror. Like you you check off that genre. Um. And show them what, what's there. And yeah. then I don't know. Like the obviously the third one's the hardest because you cut out everything else. But my favorite movie, and I think it's a really good movie for like character exploration and stuff like that, is In Bruges with Colin Farrell. Um, it's like I don't know if you've seen it, but it's like I, uh, I have. It came out what five years ago or so. I, I, or yeah, a little, a little older more. than that. Um, okay, I saw it five years ago on a yeah. plane. Yeah, there you go. But yeah, like uh, kind of uh, like hit. Like there are hitmen, and it's a it's a, just a very dark comedy. Um, takes place in, in Bruges in Belgium, obviously, and they are um, Irish people. Uh, I don't know. It's really good. I, I, I'm tiptoeing how to describe it in case someone hasn't seen it. I don't want to give anything away. But that is, like, my favorite, like, um, non, like, oh, top 50 films of all time movie. That's actually, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rewatch that. I remember when I saw it, no one, when I mentioned it to, had seen it. Since you're not the only person to say that. Um, 
but I, I remember liking it. I just can't remember all of it. Uh, oh, there is. Uh, I'll, I'll give you another one. Okay, um, there do. is a new movie called The Banshees of Inishirin, which is the same two guys, Colin Farrell and um, okay. I'm Didn't drawing a blank on the other guy's name, uh, Brandon Gleason. Um, yeah, yeah. Oh, they have an, another movie together that just came out. I haven't watched it yet, but I heard it's really good. He came here. I worked, and he he did an episode of Republic of Doyle. Oh, Gleason. I know. <laughs> oh, they're of course. Yeah, well, who look? I'm talking to Newfoundlander. Um, Love Republic of Doyle. Uh, yeah, man, that's where. It, so that's where I got my start in the industry. Not that you asked, but we were talking earlier. Uh, yeah, I was locations on that for you know crew for three or four years before anything came down. So, then I did a couple of stunts. Okay, so so when you say your locations, like you're just helping them scout, like where to shoot scenes and stuff like that. Well, that would be the locations manager. No, okay. I was jump how high. I got a job on set. It paid pretty well. And I got accepted to do education after the folklore degree. That was the plan. I didn't just think I was going to be a folklorist, you know. <laughs> I was going to go on and be a elementary school teacher. And uh, Alan Hocko, you know, he's my buddy, plays Jake Doyle. So between it wasn't just him. These take the shop productions. I knew a few of those guys. I would skate every summer with them. Spring actually, there's a tournament in Toronto for for the arts community. It's called Exclaim Cup Summit of Arts Hockey Tournament. It was all like you know tv shows and band like sloan has a team at the time nice. hip had a team and leonard cohen had a team he didn't necessarily play like 10 years ago of course he was 70 but um, uh picturing leonard cohen and like the old school coaches outfit on the bench though they're like he's got the hat yeah that's dude. what i was hoping to see yeah, yeah. But I, I didn't actually but apparently that happened before i got there but anyway that's what it is and uh and i you know they gave me a job like i said i had the degree so they gave me a job, but it was jump how high it was like coming in the morning, um, you know, set up parking um, when they're outside and on location, you know, you move the tents, take video village, help move that. Like it was very much laborious. And then uh, I talked my way into set deck, which would be like talk my way in. You know, I, I started to, you don't, I started at the very, very bottom, but that was there for three years. Then it was set deck, like, you know, they might go walk into a room and say this movie is going to take place in 1975. Here are you and your team. Here's your budget kind of thing. But really, I'm breaking it down a lot here without going in long, without rambling anymore. That's So that's what I did. But the whole time it was happening, once in a while a stunt would go. So Republic of Doyle, you know, the, the, the head guy was James Binkley. And I, I saw a couple stunts on crew. And then I said, Binks, I fought Tidomi at center ice. Come on. <laughs> what's going on? And then he. You know, I quickly realized it's not really about balls. Some of it is, but it's about timing and, you know, where the camera placement is and everything. So I got into that, and then Jason Momoa came over and gave me a lot of stunts, put me in a couple movies, and we did Frontier together. That's kind of... So when I when we were talking earlier about Shorzy, it wasn't so much a fluke out of nowhere, but I, I just didn't see that happening. There was enough happening. I got into it here. Republic of Doyle was really the only thing happening. Now we've got three or four studios there's never nothing happening. And people come, we give a nice little tax break. So a lot of American, I just did a show for Lifetime called Made to Kill, I believe. It might, might be changed. But um, where I play a bad guy, you know? And it, it, so it came from somewhere, but Shorzy was still something that I never, ever expected to do. So Not wait, that you asked. But. No, it's, it's I, I would have asked. I just, I didn't know if I was allowed to ask you stuff on your show. Yeah, I was going to ask you after. Um, so when you say, so the, the stuff with Momoa, like, were you angling of like, oh, I, I'm as jacked and good looking as this guy. I can do his stunts. Is that no, is, you're is not. Yeah, you, you, I love, I, I, I love that you asked that. I'll tell you exactly what happened. Okay, 
It was 2015. Doyle had just ended, and I was locations again. We went to Keels, Newfoundland, a little place out by Trinity. Uh, they do a lot of the commercials. They call them the clothesline commercials, you know, like Newfoundland, discover a place <laughs> that's rather unknown. You know, like, so they would do those commercials. And anyway, we shot part of Marty, Maudie there, which was based on Maud Lewis. I believe her name was Maud Lewis. Maud Lewis, yeah. And um, she was from Digby, Nova Scotia, a folk artist that really kind of became more popular after she died. And uh, Ethan Hawke was in it with Sally Hawkins. So I was on that crew and we were out there. And because I was, I had to be the first on set in the morning. Keels only has like, I don't know, 12 or 15 houses in it. So it's tiny and there's no reception, but the actors had to be there. So and, and it, Ethan Hawke walked up. Now, I didn't know him, but the first day on set, I had thrown a, I could have gotten fired for this, but I threw one of my books, which had just come out, into his chair in the green room because he'd come to games in Montreal with Kiefer Sutherland. I, I, I hadn't okay, met him, cool. but I'd been in Bonanote, a bar there. When he was there, I was talking with Kiefer. He was sitting right next to him. Not that I know Kiefer Sutherland, but he, again, he comes to a lot of games in Montreal. Yeah. So I threw the book there. And again, we go out there and Ethan Hawke comes walking up behind me and I was, I was smoking half a joint and I was drinking a, a, a drink of Jack Daniels right out of the bottle. It was a late, real warm day in October, like 20 degrees. Sun was going down. I was sitting on a cliff after a long day. Yeah. And he came walking up and he said, great book. And I was like, what? You read it already. It's like seven days before that or whatever, maybe 14 maximum. And, uh, you know, there was no reception. He said, well, I can't get a hold of anybody. And he said, I, so I've been reading your book for a couple of days. And then we got talking. He said, you know, this is hard work and it's great that you can do it. And you're humble. And he said those words. I'm repeating what he said. And uh, he just, he said, you know, you should try this. You know, you got this book. You're an artist. All this is happening around you. Why don't you try acting? And I thought that was kind of ludicrous. But I, of course, I wanted to. And I'd done a couple of stunts, like I said, which I guess is acting. Uh, it's in the goes under the acting you know i got in the acting union because of it yeah you so got anyway, your imdb page and everything yeah i got it i got it all but what happened was so i went back and i we i took him down to the bull and barrel a bar downtown and we had a few drinks and i ended up have, being a bit on and i phoned i think hawko one of them and asked could i get an audition for something and frontier was coming i didn't even really know that but the same people that did public doyle did frontier with momo and it's that was their next project, except this is huge. This is Take the Shot plus this group in Hollywood. So I went into audition for this British cook, and I sucked. I was horrible. But, And I'm not just saying that. I was horrible. It was like three pages of dialogue, and I, I'm not British. I, I tried to do the accent. I was like, I'm not an actor. I walked in. like People that were actual actors were waiting in the waiting room. I felt like an idiot. But it, when I went to have a sip of coffee at the end, I took out my tooth. And they were like, you know, We've actually got a, at the very, so at the very, very beginning of Frontier, at the very, very beginning, five seconds in, is Momoa, and he comes over, I'm a dying soldier. You probably wouldn't, write, they like the fact I had no tooth, and I only had to say, please have mercy. Now, I could do that. Please have mercy, have mercy. I could do that. I just couldn't go on a dialogue for three pages. So, I, the, Daniel Irvine, she had me go to her house, and she goes, you need to cry in this scene. Like, you need to freak out. Like, I want to put you there. And I think to them, why fly in someone from Ontario for such three words? Like, you know, usually I can see if you're an actor and you don't want me to, you know, the British cook was actually unrealistic. It was more to bucket list to do an audition. But now I've got no tooth. It need, this guy needs to be beaten up, look like that and beg for his life. So I did it and it, it was an okay. And then I, 
I met Momoa that day that I came out to do it, and he had read the book. Again, someone here had given it to him, but he grew up in Des Moines, Iowa. He was a big hockey fan. Roller skated, but never played rollerbladed, never played hockey. So I started uh, every Sunday. We went to St. Bond's Forum here, and I taught him how to skate. And that, Oh, amazing. That's, that, so there, there is more to the story than meets the eye, right? I got in to do that scene, but the, the, please have mercy. You needed three. You needed either two stunts and a speaking role or any combination of that, but you needed at least to say words on TV to get in the union. And that was okay. it. That's how I got in. That was now you talk about rambling. That's rambling. And <laughs> no, I mean, hey, that, now I'm picturing Jason Momoa is like, I think he's like, what, like six, four, six, five. Oh yeah, man. Yeah. Oh man. If we, you could teach him to skate backwards. You got a defenseman ready to go. Well, he's not bad. Like his shot is a normal shot. Cause again, okay. he played, he played rollerblade, but he couldn't stop. But he came to hit me. Like I, we kidded around and, and got in a hockey fight. And to be honest, you know, it's all about balance. So I was kind of fucking around with him in the hockey fight. I mean, if he hit me once, he could have put me down, but you know, I was okay at that, but, but no other scenario could I ever actually grapple with Jason Momoa. But then he hit me and I'm not, he came at me to hit me and I kind of jumped out of the way and he put the glass came right out of the, the glass just came right out of the partition and <laughs> flew like seven feet and smashed against the wall. Not kidding. We were there. Like he, the guy was too strong for his own good, but he was real nice. And then he took me to Europe and we were in uh, castles doing season three of frontier. I played like 10 people in season three, just wig <laughs> uh, different, whatever it would be. And uh, then letter Kenny called and I did one scene and the rest is, is history. Um, your favorite type of dog? Um, black lab. No, you know what? Uh, Rottweiler. I I've fostered two Rottweilers before and yeah. I know that they can be temperamental or whatever. I think I got lucky, but they were just like to have these like 80 or 90 pound dogs who could tear you apart, who are just like big sucks, um, is, uh, is pretty good. Will Bo Bichette play shortstop for the Jays? At the end of this season, yeah. will he still be playing shortstop? Yeah. Uh, you got to get a hot air balloon across Western Canada. Okay. So this is more tight quarters than on your ship that you went to Mars on. Right now, you're going across Western Canada, but you're in a hot air balloon. So it's going to take, I'm guessing, a week. I don't know. Um, now you got to take one of these people with you. Only one person fits. You've got your food and everything supplied. So this person doesn't have to be a chef or a GGR. Just for company. Just for company. Connor McDavid, Sidney Crosby, or Carey Price? I'm going to go McDavid. I think Crosby would probably be a little dry. Uh, Carey Price, I don't know. He's probably going to want to like stop and hunt. Uh, so I'll go McDavid. <laughs> McDavid seems a more reasonable uh, reasonable choice. I should have thrown – and three, like, you know – Hockey players, I really didn't give you much variety. Yeah, it's but, all right. Uh, either answer is good. And what will Carey Price's legacy be, do you think? Shoot, that's I don't a, know. That's an, like, if, I know he's what, a, a Hall of Famer, but you know, people ask me, I'm like, I, I don't know. You know, like he, he's a great goalie. Is, is it magnified because he was with the Habs? He was the Hart Trophy winner one year, wasn't he? Or am I wrong? I he was so. president for sure. Yeah, I think he's the last one, the last goalie yeah. to do it. Because he had that like sub two goals against average year, um, and that's you know where does he yeah. go down in the all time great goalies? You know, is, is it magnified because he's a hab? Yeah, I think it is because like they're such an important franchise, right? And like obviously 
an element of that in this era is that he he doesn't have a ring. Um, yeah. But, you know, it's not like, like he has been, it, it would be different if he'd been a bad playoff goaltender. And I know yeah. he had, a, he had one or two rough series like early in his career, but he he's got like some pretty remarkable playoff he numbers. Does. So yeah. I don't think you can hang it on him. Uh, I think the big thing is, well, like, at some point, he just needs to stop talking and stop posting on social media, and that'll save some of his uh, some of his legacy. But yeah, like, no, why I be polarizing if you don't have to, you know? Yeah, um, no, I think I think he is. I mean, the longevity alone, like I think he's got to be like right up there in terms of career games played for goalies. Um, and I think going down as like a top three to top five Montreal Canadian goalie yeah. in history is like that that's pretty important on its own it, it is and he's got that olympic but you know what's um it's funny because in, in in montreal they do a lot of people judge you on uh not me of course it wasn't long enough but a lot of you know being part of their aura um on cups and i find it funny because a lot of them got these cups and there's only six teams again i'm a huge it's not their fault there was only six teams. It's not Babe Ruth's fault he didn't play against black players. I'm not I'm not holding it against these guys, but it's a major thing. It's a it's a major if Kerry Price was on a in a six team league, I would think he'd have six cups, you know. But just even two years ago or or three years ago when they went to the final, I mean he was a big part of you know, I, I don't know what his stats were at the end of the playoffs, but you know, there were games in there that they definitely wouldn't have gone on if it wasn't for him. Um, I just find me yeah, he's he's mysterious for a lot of reasons. Yeah. Every time you cross the street for the rest of your life, a song plays, which is going to be a lot, especially in Toronto. You're bopping around, walking back and forth, lunch every day. You 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 cross the street. What song would that be? Okay. Uh, this is going to age me a little bit just because it's going back to a music video era. Um, and I know music videos aren't as popular now. Uh, I'm going to say Walking Contradiction by Green Day because the music video for that is basically that, them walking around the street as like disasters just happen around them and like just miss them and stuff like that. Yeah. And it's all, I don't know. It, it's, it's, that is the like a song is playing as you're walking down the street and like a car crash happens behind you uh, song in my head. I, uh, I, I, didn't realize this till recently because I thought I love Green Day and I say that and some people are like oh they're cheesy I'm like cheesy I, I've never even dawned on me that that might be the case I don't know I guess if you were 15 they would probably be a little bit older but I think they're still relevant I love one of my favorite albums ever is American Idiot and the one they put out after that wasn't bad uh the last I forget uh anyway I I and they also, speaking of videos, they had a few videos that I love. Didn't you think, if there's one thing, again, I'm going off here, but I remember I, I was only young, like being five or six, maybe seven years old, and, and Michael Jackson came on the scene and then, and then Thriller video. And it was like this big production. And, you know, it was like a short film. And I figured, like, that was the... Now, like... The age of the video. I mean, MTV, the first video, video killed a radio star. Like, I thought we were going in this era that that would be, but it didn't. It went back. Like, now no one even cares about music videos, do they? I, I mean, like, maybe a little bit. Like, I mean, yeah. I have friends in the music industry who, like, have to make them still. It was cool. Like, so uh, I'm friends with a, a band called Pup, 
Um, they're like a, a Toronto punk band, and I got yeah. to spend like a whole day on set with them. Um, yeah, they're the, they're on the NHL soundtrack and stuff. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I got to spend like a whole day on set with them and see everything that goes into it and stuff. And it, it was like pretty cool, but it also I get the impression that it's like something bands still do because you have to, but it's not like. I don't know. In like the year 2000, it was probably the most important part of your album yeah. rollout was like what the first music video is. And now it's just like, well, you know, some people might listen to the music on YouTube and it's a good way to like make a song stick out or remember it's, it's not anywhere near as important. I don't think. No, it's not. Well, I mean, I just used to say it openly. I, did the video come yet? Like did the video drop? Did the, I haven't heard that be said in a long time. Uh, you get $362 million. Hell yeah. But you, but you have to cut off a finger, sew it to your forehead, and your new name is Corky Fitzgerald. Do you do it? Yeah, you a finger course. coming out of your forehead. Yeah. But I mean, you do have $362 million. I, I, look, if we're... $362 million goes a long way. Um, I got hats. You could, you could find... Even if it's not covered up, you could just like have it coming out of here or something. Uh, I got this finger that broke once and never actually healed, so I already know what it, it like doesn't straighten. So I already got the <laughs> finger picked out. Ready to go. Three hundred sixty-two million is a lot of money. Two hundred seventy-eight million. Do you trade heads with Steve Zahn? Steve Zahn is uh, an actor. Was he's in White Lotus? Um, yeah, I know who he is. Yeah. Okay. Um, now he's not a bad-looking um, guy, but no. you're not yourself. I mean, you are, but you got to you got to wear his head the rest of your life. I still is. have my brain, though. You'd have your brain. Huh. Yeah. But, you you know, you look like Steve Zahn. I don't, I don't think I do it. Not because he's not a handsome fella or whatever. Just like, that's like, you're getting paid to live the rest of your life as, like, not yourself. You're almost dead. Yeah. You're, you're, you're a memory. You're dead, really. Yeah. yeah I, don't, I don't know if I could do that one. People wouldn't look at you as Blake Murphy at all. No matter how much you'd say, no. this is me. But you, you the, the Blake Murphy that people know and love would be dead. No, everyone would be like, you're the, the whiny husband from White Lotus. Okay, last question. Last question. Are you, by the way, rapid fire randoms? Yeah, not, not going, rapid. <laughs> it, rapid fire randoms has been going, in six minutes, it will go just as long as the interview. So anyway, <laughs> <laughs> I knew that would happen. But anyway, if you're cool with it, I'm cool with it if you are. Uh, okay. All-time team. It's hockey. You come to the table. Like in this world, everybody's in their prime. So I pick a team, you pick a team, and you have to pick three forwards, two defensemen, and one goalie. So it's one line, really. In this hypothetical, they're all 28 years old. They're all in their prime. Uh, they're all alive. You know, so Rocket Richard is not, except, sorry, no Montreal Canadiens, no Wayne Gretzky, no Gordie Howe, no Mario Lemieux, no Bobby Orr. And no Canadians. Now you pick your all-time team. Okay. Um, Hundred grand in the, in the middle. If my team beats yours, it's com computer simulation. If if my team beats yours, oh, computer simulation. I just go on all the analytics guys that suppress shot attempts and low Corsi percentages. Yeah, hey, whatever you want. Yeah. No. Um. <laughs> all right. So no Montreal Canadians, and then no Gretzky, How Mario. I mean, no legacy Canadians. I guess technically you could pick Doug Gilmore, right? He played on the Canadians. Right, he... okay. I see what you mean. Um, okay, so I'm going to Ovechkin. Mm -hmm. I think he's the greatest goal scorer of all time. 
Are we going back and forth, or I get to pick any five I want? Any five you want. No, I mean, mine or whatever. We're just going to hear yours. Okay. Uh, okay, so Ovechkin is in there. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I go Crosby then. I know putting them together is a, is an odd one, but... Um, if we can't do Gretzky, you know, he might be No, the... no, you can't. This, you can pick three centers. I mean, teams have okay. done that that go to the Olympics. It doesn't yeah, have yeah. to be a right wing and left wing. And, you know, I often, you know, the the greatest players ever, I think, could play one any one of the forward positions. Yeah. It's just um, my opinion. But Okay, so I'll go, go Crosby, Ovechkin, and I think Brett Hall. Um, I nice just, pick. I like the idea of having two big shooting threats for Crosby to feed. Yeah. yeah um, be dangerous. Yeah. And then, um, goalie's a tough one. That's, uh, I'm going Hassock for goalie. Yeah. I think like when you, when you factor in the era for that sure, guys dude. played in and stuff, he's, uh, he's pretty high <laughs> he up there. Incredible. He was incredible. I, people are forgetting how fucking incredible. He's another guy who won the heart trophy. Yeah. Um, and rings late in his career too. Rings. And then like, you know, I, I don't know how many Vezinas I don't even want to look, but I know it's multiple. Yeah. He was, phenomenal. um, and then defense, uh, I'll go Ray Bork and you said no Bobby Orr, right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, no so Ray, Ray Bork, I'm going very offense heavy here. I'm worried about the diva, but I'll, I'll throw Paul coffee on there too. Then. Yeah. Jeez. That's great. And where's. Who's did you? Oh yeah, you already said your goalie. Okay, yeah, decent team. Now before you go, so you're you're Ovechkin. You think he's the greatest scorer ever? Yeah, and I I I think I'm with you on that one. Now at this point, I am. What gets me sometimes? <laughs> it's hard because I love I love 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 Connor McDavid. I can't wait. I hope they get their shit together. Whoever it be, the powers that be, and you get to see these guys play for Team Canada before their prime is over. Seriously, I really want that to happen. But and and it's starting. He's starting to break away. So this year is starting to convince me the other way. But until this year, say people would say, "Well, he's by far the best," and you know. But I would, and 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 then they would say, "Well, not Gretzky or Lemieux, because in the '80s it was easier to score." This is what gets me, though. It's relative dominance to me. So I don't really care if. 50 points wins or 800 wins. If you win, it was Gretzky and Lemieux 16 years in a row. It was a foregone conclusion. They would win by 50 and 60 points, sometimes like almost 100. It, it was crazy how much better they were than everybody else. Now, when you say Gretzky gets over 200 points, he's the only guy to do it, but he did it four times. Okay, then goalies come into it. Then a lot of things. But I mean, there was. I'd love to see those guys without a red line. We could do that all day. Yeah. Um, that's I'm I'm at relative dominance with it. So McDavid now is is starting to make a case. If he mm-hmm. wins again and he wins again, I mean now he's way out in front. He's leading the goals and assists. Now I don't care if he finishes with one thirty as opposed to Gretzky's two fifteen. Now you're knocking on that door. But where do you see that? I mean I could be wrong. A lot of people disagree with me. I'm with you. I, I think you know, and we can we can like statistically adjust for that kind of stuff anyway. Um, but yeah, like. You can, here's the thing with Gretzky is like, yes, there was more goal scoring in that era. There were more points and stuff. Uh, He has like 900 more points than anyone else. If it was that easy, why didn't everyone have numbers like that? Right. And obviously Lemieux had the injury stuff. So maybe you could say two guys 
uh, were performing at that kind of level. But no, you don't lead the league in points like a hundred times. Like he, I know plus minus is kind of a not the best stat. He was plus one hundred one year. Oh, like man. it's remarkable. And the other thing too with like Gretzky, like I think this gets undersold as part of the like goal scoring package too. Is he like led the league in shorthanded goals every year too? Like yeah. he was also doing it on the penalty kill. So. You, you know, you look at Ovechkin's career. I don't know if he's killed a penalty in the last decade, but Gretzky. But, but I know what you mean from a pure, like Ovechkin just gets that inside the blue line and he's Don from anywhere. And if yeah. you're thinking goal scoring in the classic goal scoring, like you think of a home run hitter, like you think of a, a snipe, this is my job. I'm a hired gun. I'm going to come and I'm going to score a goal. I know where you're going with that. That's why I love yeah. Ovechkin as well. And yeah, so with McDavid, like, again, like you said, the the dominance of, okay, 100 points, 200 points, it doesn't really matter. Like, obviously, it matters in counting stats and stuff, but it's more to me about five times in seven years you've led the league in scoring. Totally. And, and the time you didn't, you almost did. Like, it's, it's 100%, just... 100%. That's where I am. I think he's in the midst... He's on the precipice of getting there. I, I just don't like handing it over right away. Um, no. but, but he'll get there. Like he's still young, and like if the Oilers ever get it together and, and he gets right. some, you know, playoff. I mean, last year was was cool. Um, but you know, like to see him get a little bit more uh, opportunity because like last year he, he put up like over two points a game in the playoffs. If you start adding that layer in too on top of the regular season dominance, like it'll change that conversation pretty quick. Uh, yeah. If, you know, if, if the Oilers can ever figure their stuff out. I honestly hate to even compare it. Cause I love, I love all the, all the players, all the above and uh, all the players that we've talked about are real humble. And I, 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 at the time that Gretzky and Lemieux and even Michael Jordan or, or Tiger Woods or whoever it would be, God, our lifetime, we've seen so many great athletes, but we're starting to get in. I, I get it. It's the Instagram era, whatever. Um, you know, the social media, but there's something to be said for a humble athlete and they still exist. And, uh, if, if anything, Crosby, McDavid, and even Ovechkin, you know, I wouldn't have thought it when he came in, but they're humble players that are great teammates. And to me as a hockey fan, I love, love, love watching them. And that's part of the reason you want to um, hear crazy Ovechkin stat. Yeah. He is one point behind Sidney Crosby right now. He's about to pass Sid on the, the all-time scoring list. Really? Yeah, because Crosby's had the injury he's stuff, right? So Ovechkin's injuries. He missed a full year. Crosby didn't he with his head? Yeah, and Ovechkin has over time. Like Ovechkin never misses time. Um, so he's about to pass him for for points. Obviously, Crosby has the three to one ring advantage and fewer games and stuff. But that's going to be an interesting one when they're done too to compare their regular season careers. Until a few years ago, I was Crosby all the way, and I still he's my favorite personally. But I can totally net now. I'm open to which, whichever. I, I, it used to be like, what? Are you kidding me? Cups versus no cups. And, you know, it, Ovechkin for the first part just was was more of an individual than anything. Yeah. Now maybe Crosby rubbed off. Maybe playing in North America rubbed off. All I know now is that the guy outside of the politics of it and whatever, I don't get into that. I don't really know. And, you know, with the association with Putin, I mean, I don't know. You're from Russia and you say anything bad, you'll probably get fucking poisoned or thrown out of a building. So I, I don't really judge him on any of that i i just all i know is that he came over and he became you could see the evolution of alex ovechkin from this individual kind of dynamic player 
to a teammate who gives back. Uh, he donates a lot of money. He's always there for the fans. I mean, how can you not love the guy, right? Yeah, and look at the response from other players when he got to 802, right? Like, yeah. like the guys doing the handshake line after to congratulate him and stuff. The, I mean, I, I completely understand if there are people out there who can't separate the the political element because it is, you know, gross if you look into it. But yeah, on purely hockey terms, I mean, I put him on my team, right? I obviously, I could obviously look past it for the hypothetical five-on-five yeah. game. Totally, totally. I agree. Uh, listen, <laughs> so... Rapid Fire Randoms just went just as long as the interview. We've been going almost two hours. I really appreciate it. Um, do you have anything other than what you've talked about? Do you have anything to to plug or do you have any other question for me or, or anything like that? Man, uh, I have a million questions for you. We will have to do a different well, uh, different episode where uh, I'll tell I, you this. I, and, oh, sorry. You sorry. Go ahead. I, go ahead. No, no. Go, go for it. Um, I didn't mean to cut you off there. Uh, I'm coming up to Toronto next week, the 5th to the 8th, for a different reason. I'm... Um, I'm releasing a, a drink, an alcoholic beverage. Going to try All my right. hand at that with with a group, and I'm meeting them there in Toronto. So it's completely unrelated, but I only have to see them for a few hours. I'm going to stay fifth to the eighth. I'm going to watch a Leafs game on the sixth, whatever. I um I don't know if you want to get together for a bite to eat or or a uh, beer, or something like that. I would love to, but I am in California those days. Really? What are you doing out there? So um, friends of mine in that band Pup, they're playing in Long Beach with Jeff Rosenstock and Joyce Manor. Uh, it's like Joyce Manor's big like home show off their album tour. Um, but Steve, the guitarist in that band, I'm his best man. And because the band is going to be out there and some of the other guests are going to be out there and his fiance's maid of honor is California based, we are we like built a bachelor slash bachelorette joint weekend around that show. Uh, so we'll get there like the Thursday and the concerts on the Saturday. So the Thursday and the Friday and the Sunday will be like bachelor slash bachelorette oh. stuff. And then the Saturday's the the show. Um, Dude, that is, that is absolutely awesome. Well, um, one day, and you know, I've been saying it with Merrick for a while too. One day that well, I'll be up just a month and a half after that. Oh, uh, for other reasons. I, I don't even know if I can say it right now, but. And you were down here be- for a couple of Jays games in the summer too, right? Yeah, I love I love Toronto. I, I love I usually I got a spot, an Airbnb that I used to get back in the day. That's still I'm friends with the the person there, and uh, I go back. It's Queen West. Oh, nice. I, I, I like that whole area. I just it, it it feels almost like home to me at this point. Right down by Trinity Bellwoods there. Oh, awesome. Uh, yeah, and I love going to Toronto FC games too in that in that area. But anyway, we'll get into that. But uh, there's one of my favorite bars in the world. Definitely my favorite hole in the wall is on Dundas. It's called the Black Dice Cafe. And the only music playing is a 1958 jukebox, and they only have music up until that point. So, or, you know, the jukebox only plays me. It's from 1958. It only plays 1958 and before. So it's Buddy Holly and Little Richard and stuff like that. Nice. It's just a really cool spot to have a drink. And uh, maybe sometime in the near future, and again, I'll be up there for February and definitely all of March and all of April. Awesome. So sub parts of February and then all of March, all of April. So I'd love to continue this conversation then, of course, but absolutely, uh, definitely going to have you back again at some point as well. And uh, if you ever need me for anything, just uh, just give me a shout. I know you're in Newfoundland here and there, and if nothing else, we can uh, get together and have a yeah, to eat I might beer. be out there this summer. Uh, I got to see what my dad's plans are with uh, with my nephew and stuff. But yeah, okay. Well, listen. Thanks a lot, Blake. This has been an awesome time. 
Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. If you're in Newfoundland and you're out for a beer and you're in St. John's, you want to go down for a beer to George Street on this particular weekend or any other, why not go to Trinity Pub? Why not go to TJ's Pub, Greensleeves Pub, Rob Roy Confusion, Kevin English's Bar, Rob, uh, who we just spoke about, Carl English's brother, the Bull and Barrel, of course, great spot to little watering hole. If you're going to go for a bite to eat, why not do it at Merchant Tavern? Blue on Water, why not go to Wedgwood Cafe? True Hockey Take What's Yours. Folks, if you want to get into some good shape for your peace of mind, strength for the body and mind, strength and balance, power conditioning, and Rope Walk Lane, uh, I'm living evidence that uh, the place definitely puts you in a good frame of mind. It's a great place to work out. I feel a lot better since going there. Contact Ryan Power of Power Conditioning. Alex Newhook's home gym. If you're looking, if you got car trouble, if you want to get a lube, if you want to get uh, an oil change, you want to change your tires, check out Mr. Lube, of course, which has locations on Torbay Road and Chem Mount Road and is run by my good buddy, three-time herder winner, world bronze medalist in ball hockey, Chris Sparks, one of my best friends. Check that place out. I'll be back in just a few days with episode 136A. Thank you very much again, folks, for tuning in. See you next week. Thanks to Blake Murphy, and we'll catch you all on The Rebound.